If you're offended by the words on this podcast, you'll be mortified by the words in the legal profession. Hello and welcome to episode 304 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we tackled a logical reasoning question. It was actually one of the LSAT's most common flaws. We then... Big opportunity to learn, right? Like that's one where yeah. if you struggle with that question at all, you're going to continue to get beat up by that exact issue on basically every test. So yeah. low hanging fruit for sure. Make sure you understand that logical reasoning question. Uh, it'll, that's it's, everybody at every level needs to be able to answer that question correctly. Yep. We then went into two uh, pearls versus turds. We had one pearl and one turd. The pearl was based on an Ironman triathlon tip. Yeah, today is kind of a fitness-oriented show, it seems. Then we had a a turd about reading comp. Um, Then we had a question, the mailbag. In there, we had an overbearing parent. We had, I would say, the biggest discussion was on this student who wanted to go from a 123 to a 157 and our advice for everyone along that path yeah. from 123 to 157 or really higher. And then finally we had another fitness analogy from our very own David. So Yeah, David is a one of our newest teachers on the team and uh, he's a previous guest on the podcast. Um, he wins uh, episode 304 of the Thinking Outside podcast for sure because of this advice about, you know, specific advice uh, from a different realm about mm-hmm. literally slowing down to speed up. Cool. Well, this will air on Monday, June 28th. Uh, the August LSAT registration deadline is July 2nd. So not too far off, uh, two days before July 4th. Then the August LSAT test week starts Saturday, August 14th. If you have not already signed up for a Demon Free account, I would suggest you do so and then start coming to Nathan's August 2021 LSAT study group. Yeah, specifically at this iteration of the August 2021 LSAT study group, because Mm -hmm. it is going to be before the deadline, it's going to be the day before the deadline to sign up for the August LSAT. And so you can bring your questions about, should I sign up for the August LSAT? We'll definitely be talking about that at this uh, free study group on Zoom. When is that and how do people sign up? Yeah, so that's uh, Thursdays, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. It's every week. As soon as the August one is over, Nathan, I'm assuming you're going to pick up a new study group for the next test, right? Oh, it's great. And these are going, these are like my favorite thing that I do. Well, podcast number one, hanging out with you, Ben, is I'm always my favorite. You said that, buddy. Second thing I do, favorite every week is certainly this uh, study group. It's really fun. It's a, it's a big, like dynamic group of people who are really excited about improving. Um, and I love being able to, you know, connect to people for free and help them as much as I possibly can, including, you know, it's all right now. That's going to be the big decision is like, okay, well, deadline is tomorrow. Should I, should I register or should I not register? So we'll probably spend the entire hour, I would imagine, um, talking about that decision. Yeah. So if you don't have a demon free account, you go to lsatdemon.com, you click on start for free. It's a big button all over the place. 
uh, you create an account and then once you're logged in you just click on classes and you will see on Thursdays uh, Nathan's August 2021 LSAT study group one click and you're registered come back and you can join the zoom meeting at the same place so cool all right, let's jump into this question. This is a logical reasoning question from test 73, section two. It's question nine. Uh, I can't remember who read last time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I kind of like it when I read the question and then try to shut up because it's hard for me to do that. Okay, so go for it. I'll, I'll challenge myself. All right. Columnist says, research shows significant reductions in the number of people smoking and especially in the number of first-time smokers in those countries that have imposed stringent restrictions on tobacco advertising. Okay, so this first sentence is telling me at least two things. One, that the number of people smoking, especially first-time smokers, has dropped significantly in some countries, and I know that those countries have also imposed stringent restrictions on tobacco advertising. Okay, so smoking has dropped. Smoking advertising has dropped. Um, I can almost anticipate. <laughs> I know where this is going to almost certainly go. They're going to say, hey, these two things happen together. So I know that the drop in advertising is responsible for or something like that. For the drop in smoking how do you know they're gonna do that well i don't know it for sure but i'm pretty confident they are because they do it so often it's such a commonly tested flaw okay so the argument continues this provides substantial grounds for disputing tobacco companies claims that advertising has no significant causal impact on the tendency to smoke okay so this provides substantial grounds is basically saying what I just told you is evidence for what I'm about to tell you. So we're about to read a conclusion, which is what I was anticipating. And the conclusion is basically saying that tobacco companies are wrong, uh, essentially, for saying that advertising is does not affect people's ability to, or tendency to smoke. In other words, this person thinks advertising does affect their tendency to smoke. So it's not exactly what I predicted, but it is this causal argument, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is exactly what you predicted, really, right? Yeah. Once you unraveled it, yeah. it they, they throw in that weird double negative mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. This provides grounds for disputing the tobacco companies when they say that advertising has no significant causal impact. Well, what they are saying there is exactly what Ben predicted, which was so because of this correlation, there is a causal relationship. Yep. So you nailed it totally. And then, yeah, that I totally agree. That second sentence, you, you have to, you have to translate it, but it's always a reading comprehension test first. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So Ben did a nice job there of, and, and by the way, because you had predicted where you thought they were going to go, mm -hmm. They did go there, but they went there in a very convoluted way. Mm -hmm. But your prediction, I think, helps you to catch that they did it. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's a big part of reading comprehension is to make predictions about what you think you're going to read next. Yeah. Now, I'm going to go a little abstract here. You don't need to go abstract, but 
I do tend to think of these things in this way. This argument essentially said two things are happening together. Smoking is going down. Advertising is going down because it's being restricted. Therefore, the drop in advertising is essentially causing the drop in smoking. So A and B, two things happen together. Therefore, A causes B. That's what this argument is essentially saying. And when I see this framework, I tend to think, wait a sec, how do I not know that something else didn't cause the drop in smoking and the drop in advertising, right? So like these days, um, I don't think younger people are smoking as much, right? Like, so maybe it's yep. just not cool anymore. So something else causes both, right? Right. Or maybe the causal relationship is actually reversed. So yeah, smoking dropped, but that actually led to a drop in advertising because now tobacco companies can't afford it. I don't know if that's possible, right. but that's certainly a, a, well, I do know that's possible. I don't know if that's likely, but it's certainly possible. And given that possibility, maybe this correlation proves a different causation. Perfect. Ready for the question yeah, part? Sounds good. It says, which one of the following, if true, most undermines the columnist's reasoning? Okay, so it's a weakened question. Not surprising since we had a flawed argument going from correlation to causation. I'm expecting one of the two things I just predicted. Either something else caused both of these things or maybe the causal relationship is reversed. Okay, I, I guess I would like to point out here, remember Ben, when we were talking about the three periods on a, on a, uh, like the pauses, mm -hmm. we, we made an analogy to ice hockey that uh, hockey has three periods and there's a break between the first and second period. And there's a break between the second and third period. Yeah. People frequently come to us with like, well, I know that you keep saying to slow down, but how do I slow down? And we invited people to break even more frequently than that. Yeah. Basically after every sentence or even halfway through, if there's a comma or something like that, that might be a good place to stop. But for sure on LSAT logical reasoning, you definitely want to stop after the argument. Mm -hmm or the passage, yep. which Ben totally did here. And he said, Hey, wait a second. That's a correlation to causation argument. How do you know it's not reversed? How do you know it's not some alternate cause? So he, he stopped after the passage and registered some objections. Then after the question, he stopped again and, and there he registered the question type which turns out to be weakened. And he sort of doubled down on his prediction, right? We're kind of always looking to weaken these arguments. And so when you said, oh, it's a weakened question. Oh, okay, good. Mm -hmm. So it's probably one of those two things that I already was yelling about, which was, how do you know it's not reversal of cause and effect? How do you know it's not some other alternate cause? Yeah. Okay. Great. And those are just a couple places where people can stop if they want, if they're looking to slow down, because most of you need to slow down. Yeah. That those are a couple of opportunities to slow down. And as you pointed out, I doubled down on the weaknesses that I'd found because there were weaknesses. If this had been a strengthened question, on the other hand, I still would have focused on those weaknesses, but I would have been, I would have put myself in the frame of mind to look for an answer that would get rid of those weaknesses, 
right? As opposed to an answer that would yep. reinforce them. So there is still that value, even if we're just doubling down to oh, absolutely. Yeah, figure out. No, if it was out, a strengthen question, mm-hmm. you would have said, oh, well, my argument is weak because it confuses correlation for causation. So I need to disprove all alternate causes. Mm-hmm. I also need to disprove the possible reversal of cause and effect. Yeah. If it was a strengthen question, you're just playing for the other team. But okay, what if it was a flaw question? Then I'd, I would get ready for an answer that would describe one of those possibilities. Right. On a weakened question, the correct answer is going to like attack the flaw. Mm-hmm. On a flaw question, the correct answer is going to describe the flaw. Yeah. Right. So describing the flaw is like, look at the chink in the armor right there. There's a huge gap between your breastplate and your armored <laughs> pants. <laughs> Trying to bring back the medieval. Uh, yeah. Well, the chink in the armor, yeah. right? Like that's what a flaw question mm-hmm. does is it says, hey, you got a big hole in the armor right there. A weakened question takes a sword and jams it into the hole. Exactly. In the yeah. It, it takes advantage right? of it versus just describing where it is. And what would a strengthen question? A strengthen do? question seals it up with uh, gorilla yeah, glue. Patch the hole in the <laughs> gorilla glue. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. Mid ye old gorilla glue. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. It's a weakened question. A says people who smoke are unlikely to quit merely because they are no longer exposed to tobacco advertising. Okay, um, this is kind of consistent with the passage. Actually, the premise talked about how, um, yeah, there's been a reduction in the number of people smoking, but it seems to have been greater among first-time smokers. Uh, so there's not as many people who even start smoking, which means that people who do smoke are less likely to be affected by this drop in advertising or just haven't been as affected. And this is consistent with that. So it's not hurting the argument. Uh, it just says they're unlikely to quit, but it doesn't mean they can't, and it doesn't mean they're not. And so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the columnist wants to say the reduction in advertising led to a reduction in smoking, but specifically first-time smokers. Mm-hmm. A kind of says tobacco's addictive yeah. in a way. Or like once people start smoking, they, they don't care about the advertising anymore. So I, I do think that a, yeah, it, it, it's like, it's maybe weakening the wrong thing. Yeah. I just wonder if it even weakens it though. Cause it just says they're unlikely to quit. So, okay. It's not a, it's not a high possibility, oh. but they still could. And I'm not surprised that they're not quitting as oh, much. Oh yeah, as- and the merely too, right? Cuz like what A is suggesting is well there's other factors. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, but everybody knows that smoking kills you. So, no, they're not quitting merely because they're no longer exposed to tobacco advertising. They're they're quitting because their doctors yelling at them about it, their kids are yelling at them about it, and if they no longer see these ads all the time, well, then maybe the combination of those things could lead to a reduction in smoking. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so I bet if people miss this, they probably pick A. Hmm. Uh, anyway, yeah. ben, ben dismissed it pretty quickly. Yeah. B, uh, broadcast media tend to have stricter restrictions on tobacco advertising than do print media. Okay. I don't, 
my, my initial gut reaction to this is I, I don't really care about the difference between broadcast and print. The argument just talked about advertising in general, right? Yeah, tobacco advertising. Um, so the fact that media or broadcast media tends to have stricter restrictions is like, okay, but they could still all be strict. I, I don't really know what to make of this. Uh, so it doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. But yeah, good point. B's like, well, you can't put Joe Camel on the Saturday morning cartoons because that's <laughs> broadcast media, but you can put Joe Camel, uh, you know, in the, uh, comic books mm -hmm. <laughs> with the exact same characters because that's print media. But so what, the, what does that have to do with whether, a re, you know, restrictions on advertising result in people smoking less? Yeah. C says restrictions on tobacco advertising are imposed only in countries where a negative attitude toward tobacco use is already widespread and increasing. Mm. Okay. So this is saying that the restrictions, the advertising restrictions that we were just talking about happen in countries only in countries, by the way, that's a pretty strong wording only in yep. countries where negative attitudes is already widespread and increasing. So now essentially what this answer choice is doing is saying there's a correlation between restrictions and negative attitudes, which means there's also a correlation between restrictions, negative attitudes, and people not smoking. So now it's like, oh, okay, we have three things that are correlated, three things that are happening together. How do I not know that it's not the negative attitudes that's leading to the drop in restrictions, or I mean, I guess the increase in restrictions and the drop in smoking? This provides yeah. an alternative explanation, an alternative cause. And so this doesn't disprove the conclusion, but it certainly weakens it. Yeah, Ben was looking for, you know, way back when he first read the argument, he was like, correlation doesn't really mean causation. How do you know it's not the other way around? Or how do you know there's not some other explanation? I'm not sure whether C is an alternative cause or it actually might be the reversal of cause and effect. Uh, well, in, in a way, yeah, well, right? what I'm yeah. saying is, well, the negative attitudes people, lead to the drop in smoking, right? Probably. So, well, negative attitudes slash people are already quitting smoking is what I'm saying, mm. right? Like, oh, it could just be that this is the direction that society's already going and the restrictions on advertising are following, but this was a trend that was already happening. Yeah. And so it's kind of in that way, it's like kind of like, well, how do you know it's not the other way around? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the fact that everybody's already quitting smoking makes it easier for us to impose these restrictions on tobacco advertising. Yeah. I guess I'm separating negative attitude from quitting smoking. I see them as separate. Yeah. Which I, yeah I, I, I get what you're saying. I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, reversal of cause and effect is kind of an alternative cause, mm -hmm. right? It's like they're, it's just like, hey, how do you know that these facts can't be explained in some other way? Yeah. In other words, A didn't cause B, B caused A, something else caused A. Yeah. Okay, good. I like it. So you like C a lot because it's an alternative explanation for these same facts. Exactly. It, what do you, so you, you pointed out that it has strong wording. Doesn't that automatically make it wrong on the LSAT? Because we can't pick strongly worded answers. That's right. We? Yeah, I learned a long time ago um, from a Kaplan book. Don't answer sarcastically. <laughs> I'm asking a sarcastic question. You have to answer honestly. <laughs> they said to avoid extreme language. Um, yeah, no, in a, <laughs> right. in a weakened question or a strengthened question, and basically a bottom-up question, which may not make sense to you, but a question that says, which one of the following, if true, generally 
benefits from an answer choice that's more strongly worded because it says which one of the following if true most undermines the columnist reasoning uh, a weakly worded answer could still be the one that does it the most but it's less likely to be yeah Great. Okay. D. Most people who begin smoking during adolescence continue to smoke throughout their lives. Okay. So I feel like this is repeating A almost. It's like it's hard to quit. <laughs> okay. Right. So what? They are quitting. So good. Ben, you have adolescent kids. Do you think any of them have ever tried to smoke a cigarette? I don't think so. Although if they have, they sure pulled the wool over my eyes. That's good. As long as they're hiding it. <laughs> properly that's that's a big part of the battle is at least they should well if you're hiding it right at least you feel like <laughs> you <laughs> exactly. agree that it's bad at least you know that you shouldn't be yeah. doing that shit. yeah okay e people who are largely unaffected by tobacco advertising tend to be unaffected by other kinds of advertising as okay. well Okay. i don't care about this for two reasons one um I don't really care about the fact that they're unaffected by other kinds of advertising. Other kinds of advertising is irrelevant here. Um, but I also don't care about this answer choice. And this this happens a lot on the LSAT. It says people who are largely unaffected by tobacco advertising. It doesn't say how many people are largely unaffected by tobacco advertising. Uh, this could be a very, very small group um, what, two people who are largely unaffected by tobacco advertising. And if that's the case, then you can't claim that, uh, you know, this drop in advertising isn't having an effect or something like that. And anyway, it's just like people that are impervious to advertising. So what? Yeah, that's, I don't care that they also don't, you know, they're not influenced in what kind of car they buy or whatever. Like, what? yeah, well, that's so? my that's my first reason. But really, the second reason is, this yeah. is a, you don't know the size of this group, and so it it may not affect the vast majority of people, and therefore have no relevance on this general claim. The answer is C, because it points out an alternative cause slash maybe the reversal of cause and effect. And, you know, Ben, like you predicted that you didn't go through all of it, but I'm sure you had an idea that that was going to turn out to be the answer, even after you read the very first sentence. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like they cite a correlation. They're probably going to conclude causation from that alternate causes and reversal of cause and effect. It's been the answer on hundreds of LSAT questions. This question is a really good example of how learnable the test is. I was, you know, we were just talking the other day about questions that are seem so esoteric that they don't really have takeaway lessons, right? <laughs> right. This is the exact is opposite, right? Question. So I almost feel <laughs> yeah. like this is a question that should show up in red in the demon. It's like, if you didn't get yep. this, um, sit down and <laughs> understand it. Totally. Yeah. If we were going to tag like, this one, you definitely need to get this one right. Because mm -hmm. if you miss this one, man, like you're going to miss a hundred other questions. It's okay to get it wrong, but you can't leave this until you understand it. <laughs> this is why reviewing is so important. You know, people, people like they miss this question and they just move on and do the next one. Mm -hmm. Oh, let me try another one. Let, let me do another, let me do another question. Let me do another section. Let me do another test. I want to pull that lever on the slot machine again and see if I win this time. Mm -hmm. And it's just a tragic missed opportunity because this is the one that like, man, you, 
you learn to not only get this one right, but you learn to predict the answer on this one. Mm -hmm. You turn a zero point mistake into a one point correct answer. Mm -hmm. You also get there way, way faster Yeah, because you knew the answer before you ever even read the question. And it's just, <laughs> it's just because they do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Cool. Nice. Oh, we have two pearl versus turds today. Unprecedented. Two pearls versus turds. We're going to do them back to back. Okay. Scoreboard today is uh, 14 pearls, 47 turds, and 23 ties. I have not seen these uh, submissions at all, but I'm just going to predict right now that the scoreboard by the end of this podcast will still be 14 pearls and it will be 49 <laughs> turds. <laughs> most of the most of the received wisdom out there on the internet about the LSAT is bullshit and uh, gets put into the turd pile. If you have a Pearl versus Turd candidate, by the way, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat and make your suggestions there. Um, this one's coming to us. Uh, well, it's actually coming to us from us because what? this is, uh, yep, it's Demon Student Luke. Uh, sharing a tip from LSAT Demon Teacher Matt. Oh. Or wait, maybe it was the other way around. Maybe it was Matt. That's what it was. It was uh, <laughs> it was Luke suggesting something to Matt and Matt saying, hey, that's a good Pearl versus Turd and Luke sending it to hmm. me. Uh, Luke is a current uh, Demon Live student. Okay. You want to read it? Sure. Hi, Nathan. Thanks again for making the time to chat last week. I've been emailing back and forth with Matt recently. He is awesome. And he mentioned this might be a Pearl versus Turd submission, just passing it along to you. Um, and so it is Luke saying, oh, I could have edited this. Oh, I see what this is. This is Luke had made a comment on Reddit. And it, it, so he says, I spend probably too much time on the Reddit LSAT community, but I saw a lot of posts concerning students worrying about ProctorU issues. I shared this short analogy that to my surprise got a lot of love there. Um, okay. And so this is what he had put on uh, Reddit. We'll see what you think of okay. it. He says, I've been reading posts where people are worried about ProctorU and LSAC issues. As someone who runs Ironman triathlon races, I thought a piece of mental prep that we are encouraged to do might be applicable. A triathlon is three parts, swim, bike, and run. But on race day, we actually think of it as four. Over the course of a long race like that, there is bound to be some other factor than swimming, biking, and running. It is the fourth event. Perhaps your swim goggles get kicked off by someone in front of you. Perhaps you drop a nutrition bar while biking and need to swing by an aid station for a replacement. Perhaps it's very hot during the run and you need to hydrate more than planned. The point is to expect the unexpected and be okay with something not going quite right. The LSAT is a long test. It has three parts, but there are other variables simply beyond your control. Trust that you will be able to overcome a random event and keep going. Don't let a proctor you rookie ruin your mindset. And we talked about that last week, Ben, um, with the Proctor U Proctor that was interrupting, uh, <laughs> interrupting the student. I don't let a Proctor yeah. U rookie ruin your mindset. You've prepped and trained. Don't let anything get in your way. Exclamation point says Luke. And apparently people on Reddit thought that that was good. 
and it is now a Pearl versus Turd candidate. What do you think? Oh, uh, it's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. Um, the sarcasm. <laughs> no, actually, I like it. Um, I would. I might even say I love it because when you say there's a fourth event, right? You're actually saying that this will happen. So it flips the expectation. It's like, okay, what was my fourth event? What shitty thing happened and how did I deal with it? Not, oh my God, you know, I had three events, but this other thing unexpectedly happened. Woe is me. And if you don't have a fourth event, no worries. No one cares about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we've got this as a pearl, mm-hmm. you know, that it, it was Natasha from Tampa, by the way, last week who had emailed about the Proctor, you Proctor interrupting her to introduce himself like, Hey, I'm your new Proctor yeah, yeah. right in the middle of her doing a reading comprehension passage. And that sucks, but we know for sure that shit like that happens. Yeah. And I do think that you should probably just go ahead and plan for it in advance. Yep. You know, consider that your fourth LSAT section mm-hmm. um, is the how do we how do we compensate? How how, how do we catch up? How, how do we how do we just like basically expect that shit's gonna go wrong? Um, I do this in golf all the time. That's my one sport that I'm even halfway decent at. Mm-hmm. And I was playing with my buddy the other day in a tournament. It was a two, two person event. And he said to me in the morning, he's like, yeah, the forecast is for wind. So, you know, let's hope that the, let's hope that that forecast is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh no, no, <laughs> we're not hoping that that forecast is wrong we actually should probably be hoping that that forecast is right. Yeah. Like, yes, wind is difficult, but it's difficult for everybody. And it's less difficult for the people who are expecting it and or hoping for it. And I've learned now, you know, I'm a, a, let's say I've been playing golf for 35 years probably. Yeah. And I have definitely learned that I do better if it's windy because it's all relative and I, I should be basically hoping for bad conditions. Yeah. Cause if like other people get blown off the golf course, right. They like lose on the first tee because they're already worried. Oh boy, this is really, Oh, this is going to be a, it's going to be tough out there boys, you know? And I'm like, good. I'm glad you guys are upset about the win. Mm-hmm. So, um, Okay, I think that we have found a pearl. Expect expect that bad shit's going to happen. Yep. Um, if it doesn't, great. But <laughs> when it inevitably does, uh, you'll be happy that you, um, you know, you just kind of, you got to just roll with it. Okay. Cool. So I was wrong. The score is now 48 instead of 47. No, sorry. Uh, 16 or 50. You already updated it. 15. I updated yep, 15 it. pearls and 47 turds with 23 ties. This is the next pearl versus turd for yep. today. Hey, Ben and Nathan, huge fan of the show. A friend asked me for RC. Do you do you do all the passages or just three? And guess on the last. She said that she has heard both options as advice. I told her that I never make it my goal to guess on the last section. 
but that I try to do the first three sections, I assume passages, as confidently as possible instead of rushing through them in hopes of finishing the fourth. I'm not sure if my response was good advice and thought this might be a good candidate for pearls versus turds. I apologize if this has already been a candidate. Okay. Um, if my Okay, so Katie continues. If time is running low on the fourth passage, would it be helpful to skip reading the passage and try to answer any questions that directly address a word or phrase in the passage? Example, which one of the following is closest in meaning to the term X? as that term is used in line 8 of the passage. The phrase, why, primarily refers to what. I know you both never advise reading the question stem first. However, if you are running very low on time, would it be wise to try and answer those kinds of questions above or just try to get through the passage and guess all the same letter for the questions that follow? Thank you so much for the podcast, The Demon, your tough love and humor. Feel free to roast my grammar or punctuation from this email. I probably need it. Wow, okay, that's an invitation. Um, I wasn't really paying attention to your grammar or your punctuation. Um, okay. Ah, well, uh, that's from KD, by the way. Thank you, KD. What? <laughs> the irony is that people who say, feel free to roast my grammar and punctuation, I probably need it, tend to need it less mm. because they have realized that they can pay attention to their grammar and punctuation and get better at their grammar and punctuation. So that's anyway. Um, I didn't notice anything there that was super gross. Yeah. So we have two questions here. One was, she said that she advised her friend to try to do the first three passages as confidently as possible instead of rushing through them in hopes of finishing the fourth. Okay. I think we would, Say, yeah, do what you can, whether that's three passages or two passages or four passages. Uh, yeah, just do the I, best you can. I think she can. knows that that's a pearl. Mm -hmm. That That is clearly, yes. You don't try to make it through all four passages if your accuracy is going to be low on the first three. It's not going to be worth it. So you need to read the first three passages carefully, and you should feel pretty damn good about your answers for all the questions on those first three passages. By the way, that should already get you to 21 points in the section, right? 20 or 21 points in the section, and people need to be honest. Not that many people score 20 anything on the reading comp. And if you're not scoring 20 something on the reading comp, then you shouldn't be doing all four passages because you can score 20 something by just doing three passages. Mm -hmm. So that's clearly a pearl. I don't think that's, I think the question that Katie's asking is if time is running low on the fourth passage, let's say after the five minute warning, I think she advised this person to do these questions first. Yeah. And I, I don't think it is. I would just read the passage and read it as well as you can. I, I just am so much more confident in my ability to go quickly when I understand the passage. And maybe you wouldn't have time to do more than two questions, but you're talking about doing one or two questions here. And when you read these terms out of context, I don't think your chances of getting them right are very good anyway. So... There are so many questions that are like main point questions in disguise. Even when they are asking you about the meaning of a specific phrase or the purpose of a specific phrase. Yeah. They almost always are in service of their main point somehow, or they very frequently are in service of their main point somehow. Mm -hmm. 
And if you don't know the purpose, if you don't know the main point, then I just feel like you're going to fall into one of the professionally written trap wrong answers anyway. Yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, so I'm not sure that you're going to be very good at this anyway. Like I, I'm sure that sometimes you get it right, but I don't know. I think you, you might've been able to just read the passage and get one or two of them right anyway. Yeah. The, the other reason why, the reason why this is for sure not a pearl for me is that it has to do with shit that only matters at the tiniest of margins after the five minute warning has already been called. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there are no pearls after the five minute warning has been called the, at the five minute warning, you should bubble in guesses for everything that you haven't read that you haven't attempted yet. That's the only pearl, right? Is like five minute warning pops up on the screen. You click all the same answer for all of the questions that you have not completed yet. You should mm-hmm. just do that automatically. Mm-hmm. Just do it robotically, just instantly. All I don't care what letter you pick, just make sure you click something for all the questions remaining in the section. Yep. Then go back to whatever question you were working on and try to answer it correctly. If that involves you then turning to the fourth passage at some point after the five minute warning has already been called, mm-hmm. well, six sevenths of your time has already elapsed and it it just doesn't really matter that much what you do in the remaining one seventh of your time, right? That remaining five minutes is time to get like one question, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's never, I'm never going to like what we've decided Ben, right? That the, the measure of a pearl is, am I going to say this in class? Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to say this in class because it's just not, it's, it has nothing to do with the big picture of, comprehending the passages and getting the bulk of the points from the bulk of the (laughs) passages in the bulk of your time. Like it just, people really love to, I don't know. It's like rearranging the deck chairs on the sinking Titanic at that point. Right. It's like you've either already won or lost the section. And so it doesn't matter what you do in that last five minutes. I mean, make sure you bubble something in, Mm -hmm do one more question. Yeah. But I don't think it's any kind of like brilliant advice to, and and I think that that just makes it a turd, doesn't it? Because it's like, well, now you're focusing on something that is not the big picture, important thing that you should really be focusing on. Yeah. You gotta, you can't let the perceived small good thing get in the way of something that's so much better. Right. Which is for sure. Make sure you guess on every question Mm -hmm. at that point, Mm -hmm. you know, make sure that you got the bulk of the points that on questions you've already attempted. Mm -hmm. Cause I can just see somebody like, you know, what's going to really happen here is that the five minute warning is going to go off while they're almost finished with the third passage. And then what they're going to do is they're going to be thinking about this strategy of like skipping ahead and doing the questions that have that blank in it. And they're going to drop the remaining two questions on the passage that they already actually read. Yeah. And they're going to like, they're going to, you know, in a rush to implement this tip Mm -hmm. that they heard Mm -hmm. for that fourth passage in a rush to implement that tip, they're going to like make sloppy mistakes on the third passage. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's, that makes it, I think clearly 
a turd. Anyway, scoreboard is now 15 pearls, 48 turds, 23 ties. A lot of bad advice out there. Be careful what kind of tips you're <laughs> listening to yeah. in your LSAT prep. If you have an, uh, if you have a, a pearl versus turd candidate, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com or you can find us on social at thinkinglsat. Great. Okay. Yeah. Uh, mailbag, huh? Yep. We got three shortish emails in the mailbag and that's it. Okay. You want to take this first one? Sure. Hi, I have been studying for the LSAT for over a year now. And I originally began with studying an hour a day and I had a tutor with Kaplan parentheses, big mistake. My mom is an extremely overbearing parent <laughs> and constantly brought me down about the amount of time I was studying for this test. When I took the February test, I received a score of 146 and she immediately threw it in my face. I have since increased my study time to three to five hours a day. And she still says I am not studying enough. Do you guys have any advice on how to ignore slash get parents like this to stop? Thanks, Naya. Any advice for <laughs> Naya? This is giving me pleasure because you're a parent and you have to answer the question. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about it and I'm glad that Naya has this like desire to push back at her mom. Um, really? Yeah. I think people need Why? to grow up and decide for themselves what is best. This. Oh, okay. Mom. I'll tell that to your kids next time I see them. Oh, my kids are in a different situation. <laughs> <laughs> I use, I'm going to just play them the recording. All right. No, actually ahead. it's good. I want my kids to do that. They got to, you know, if, if, a, if, a, if a kid is always beholden to what I have to say and I'm just another parent in this, or adult in this universe, they're not ready to take on life, you know? So people got to, you know, you're not going to be right about everything. You don't possibly know everything and you do want them to spread their wings and get out of the house eventually and find their own way in the world. So yeah, they, they need, to, they need to be calling bullshit on things generally. And that is unfortunately going to include you sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Well, it sounds like Naya lives at home and maybe Naya has to live at home, but, um, boy, it, it would be nice. Are you, are you in college to like move out and live somewhere else? <laughs> that was my, that's funny. That exactly was exactly my first thing was like, why are you living at home? Yeah. You get, yeah, your mom is going to bitch at you constantly. If you're living at home, that's she's, she's not going to have the time to bitch. She's not going to be able to bitch at you constantly or monitor your study time. If you move out. Yeah. The other thing is to try to, I'm not sure like if your practice test scores were higher than a 146 when you took the test, but it doesn't seem like you should have taken it. Um, a, a good way to to take control of the situation here too is to increase your score and just show her later. I, I don't know. True. That's a very good point. Ultimately, it's about the scoreboard, yeah. right? I mean, Naya has been studying for over a year now. And uh, weirdly, you know, she's talking about her 146 in February. It's June now mm -hmm. as we read this. 
weren't there other tests in between then and now? Like what's your, what are your practice tests? At least you should be taking practice tests. What are those practice tests saying? Mm -hmm. Because if you really are like still in the mid one forties, I think you've got like a couple choices. You need to do something differently with your prep which may or may not mean study more. I mean, three and a half or sorry, three to five hours a day is a lot. Like that's like kind of the maximum that I would ever really endorse. Right. We always talk about one high quality hour a day. I think your mom, you know, if she was maybe more savvy, she would be telling you to study better. You know, I, I almost feel like, and I don't know, but there could be a, a, a lot more going on here in the sense that maybe Naya's at home. She's not doing, maybe she was doing one to two, two to three hours of studying before. And then the rest of her time is what's exactly. on screens. And her mom's like, look, you're not succeeding. You're not working enough. You're just wasting your time and I'm supporting you. There's probably a lot more here, and her mom's right. just like, "You need to be doing at least more." If 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 you had a job That's what I and like, exactly, yeah, I don't know, a thousand percent, yeah, like what your mom might be telling you is to get a job, <laughs> like be productive, <laughs> like push the ball forward, and she she doesn't necessarily want you to actually get a job because she wants you to succeed on the LSAT and go to law school, mm -hmm. but you might maybe that's actually my advice naya is to if you don't already have a job maybe you should get a job mm -hmm. because we we tend to like i tend to like it when i hear people say oh i'm i'm going to school part-time and i also have a part-time job and i'm studying for the lsat i'm like good great because it's weird but the busier you are the more productive you tend to be not as as busy as the personal statement we read in the last Oh, Dre yeah. from last episode, who was working full time at a law office and bartending 20 to 30 hours a week and running an art business on the side. Staying up until three and four in the morning. That's just like. Right. Not that's sustainable. not how it's done. Yeah. Right. But there's a fine line. Yeah. I mean, I, I generally don't endorse three to five hours worth of studying a day. So I would tell your mom. Hey mom, like that's more, that's Ben and Nathan say you don't need to study more than that. Yeah. But I am very curious. And so has Ben like what you're doing with the rest of those hours. <laughs> <laughs> and like, if you're around the house so that mom can yell at you about not studying more, well, then maybe you need to get out of the house and do something. Yeah. Be productive. Naya doesn't say. Maybe she is. Maybe she's at school and work and other stuff. But, you know, the, the, the other advice, and people always hate to hear this advice, but you were, you're at a 146 after a year of LSAT prep. I think you need to have a, like, bit of a look in the mirror, right? You, like, you need to have a, you need to have a kind of a hard conversation with yourself yeah. about, like, it sounds like you ditched the Kaplan tutor who wasn't helping you. That's great. Hopefully you're studying with us in the LSAT demon. Um, but you know, like I would just expect that you, you start showing some actual progress on your practice test scores. Now, like, you know, set a deadline for yourself one month or something, but like, if you don't get into the one fifties now, then 
I don't know. Quitting is an option. I'm not, I'm not telling you to stop. I'm telling you that that is an option that's on the table for you. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, I, (laughs) thanks Naya for writing in. I, as you can see, I just moved this bottom email up. Uh, I don't know if you're willing to talk about this one, but it seems to tie into what you were just talking about. So I thought we should skip to it. Sure. Um, I'll read it really quick. It says, hello, LSAT demon. I did the LSAT diagnostic and scored a 123 on my first try, and I need a 157 to go to law school. There's like, by the way, there's absolutely no punctuation in this email. Right. Do you know if there are any courses I can do to help me imp- in improve to, to improve it to a 157? Sincerely anonymous. Um, yeah, I'll let you yeah, well, okay. Talk about this. <laughs> I understand that you're, I, I appreciate that you're writing into the show for advice. I'm going to give you honest, unfiltered advice. The first thing I notice about this email is that it has, in one sentence, it has five mistakes. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> At mean, least, yeah. It's a, it's a run-on sentence. It's capitalizing diagnostic for no reason. It's capitalizing law school for no reason. It's got a missing word on, do you know if there, Ben just read it as, do you know if there are any courses, mm-hmm. but that's not what it says. Yeah. What it says is, do you know if there are any courses and then any courses I can do that help me and not will help me, but just that help me. And then the word improve is, in improve, I in I am improve improve in improve. <laughs> I don't know what. which is just a typo. It's yeah. just, but it's like I get it. You're it's you didn't you did not take the time to copy edit your question that you sent in. I under fine. I yes, I understand. I mean, why didn't you take this? <laughs> like, but you know, yes, yeah, true. But just, I would never, I would never even write this as a text. I'm sorry, right, I don't. It's not I, lawyer maybe shit. I'm just too you know, anal about these kind of things, but I would never shoot this off to someone in a text. It would never even get created. Start your law career now. Get in the habit of sending edited shit. It's, it's just somewhat edited or, you know, I don't know. Lawyers are extremely detail oriented people, you know, and, and I'm not saying that you don't have the aptitude, but you're certainly not demonstrating it with this, with this question. And so what am I to understand about your situation? Like, I want to help you as much as I possibly can. So like, that's, I don't know. That just doesn't look like anything that any lawyer would ever write, which makes me think like, well, maybe you're barking up the wrong tree. And, and as far as the facts that are actually provided here, you know, let's talk about what a 123 diagnostic means. So that means you're, you're doing worse than guessing. Yes, it's worse than random chance. So, you know, I think we are to assume that Anonymous gave this a reasonable try. It, I mean, they're capitalizing it, LSAT diagnostic, as if it's like something that they took seriously. And, you know, so sat there for 35 minutes times three and ended up with a with a score that is literally worse than just randomly guessing on every question. So you have you have subtracted value 
in that 35 minutes per section that you were sitting there. Yeah. This is getting 17% correct rather than 20%, which is what you'd likely get from getting 20% you would get from just random chance. And now, okay, so they don't know that they're supposed to just randomly bubble in guesses. I'm sure that they did not bubble mm -hmm. in guesses randomly. Okay, fair enough. You know, but still, surely they must have attempted 10 questions per section. And of those 10 that they attempted, they really only got like three or four of them right. So it's just like, it's just only very barely over random guessing, yeah. even on the very easiest questions on the entire test. Yep. So it's not an intelligence test. I'm not judging you. It's I'm not even saying anything necessarily about your potential. What I am saying is that a 123 indicates you understood almost nothing. Like it's just a, you did not get it at all. And you are trying to enter into a field where many of your competitors score 157 on their very first practice test, which means that they do get a lot of it. Not all of it, but they do get a lot of it. Like they just read it carefully and understand it and get it right. Yeah. Because ultimately these questions do make perfect sense. Especially the easy ones are really, really easy. You just have to be careful. You have to read them carefully and answer the question. And with a 123, you're not. You're, you're not reading carefully. You're picking answers that just simply do not answer the question at all. Yeah. Okay. I need a 157 to go to law school. Oddly specific, isn't it? Oddly specific. It's like, um, okay, where did you get that number? Maybe he or she has a school in mind that... It leads me to believe that they have a particular law school in mind, and that law school is probably predatory. Like, I just... I think that this is one of these law schools that Ben and I would probably say shouldn't even exist. I think that they're telling this person, yeah, you need to, you know, you just, you got to get that up to a 157, then, then you're in. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I would say a 157 is higher than I would expect some of these predatory schools to accept. I feel like they even accept school scores in the 140s, right? Yeah. It's still oddly specific and oddly low. Yeah. Right. I mean, like that's a score that would never get you into any top law school for sure. Mm hmm. So it's, it's a regional school, it's some specific school where she thinks if she gets this number, you know, she's going to get in. Yeah. And I just think that that might, I really, I'm just giving you my honest advice. I think that might be the worst thing that ever happened to you. If you did get that 157, I think they're going to charge you full price. And I think it's going to be the worst thing that ever happened to you. So you're going to spend time and money to go up 34 points, which is no small miracle and then end up spending more money to go into yeah. debt and walk away with a degree that you may or may not use. Right. It Okay, so let's talk about that part of this, right? To go from a 123 to a 157, that would be like the largest increase I have ever seen in my entire career of teaching LSAT. We we have seen a few people, right, Ben? I, I know you've seen a couple and I've seen a couple. We've seen a couple in 15, what do we have, a combined 30 years of experience mm -hmm. teaching LSAT mm -hmm. now almost? Yeah. 
right? Like we've been doing this for a while. We've worked with thousands of students. The biggest improvement I've ever seen is around 30 points. And that's usually after a year or two years worth of prep. Mm -hmm. So it's an, it's an extremely uphill battle. I believe that if anybody could do it for you, it's probably us. <laughs> like, I think that we're the best at what we do. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think that if anybody could help this person actually improve to a 157, and we can talk about that part too. Let's, 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 we'll go there after we finish this bit of it. We'll go there to like, here's what you would have to do. I think that we're the right choice. I, I do. I really think that we could help you. If anybody could help you, I think it's probably us. But I think we could potentially help you more by convincing, by just, it's your choice. It's your life. But, you know, if you asked me, one, should I do this? I, I would say, man, I don't know. Because I, I would get paid to do it. And I think I'm the one, Ben and I are the ones who could help you the most. You would pay us for that. And I think that, I think that, I just think we might be doing you a disservice if we did. Yeah. Cause I'm just so worried that you're going to improve to a 157. You're going to go pay full price for a marginal at best law school. And you're not going to end up with a legal career out of it. Yeah. You're going to end up with a lifetime of debt. And it's like, I, <laughs> I, I would get paid. I don't, I, I can't, I can't get paid to do that. I don't, I do not want to get paid to sell people the dream. I just like, that's not morally. I don't feel, I would not feel good about it. Agreed. Now this 157, I mean, it could be that anonymous is saying, oh, I looked at your scholarship estimator. And if I get a 157, I'm going to get a full ride. Yeah. And if that's the case, then forget about all that, that I just said. I mean, it's still going to be an extreme challenge for you to get to that point. We'll talk about that next. But if, if 157 is going to be the full ride that will get you to law school, then great. But if 157 is going to get you admitted to law school and you have to pay full price, then I think that that would be a bad decision. Yeah, I, I agree. If you have to pay full price at 157, you probably shouldn't start on this journey. I would say that although the 30 to 35 point increase is extraordinarily rare, extraordinarily difficult, I do feel like it's an... I don't know, actually. I was going to say, I feel like it's easier to go up that number of points when you start lower. I do think that's true, but I don't think it's true when you start really low. It's just so. that the outcomes are so bad. Even if you make, like, you could make a 20-point improvement, and that would guaranteed be terrible for you. Like, you make a 20-point improvement to a 143 there's no way you're going to get a scholarship to law school. Any law school that would admit you is a terrible law school. Yeah. You're like not going to have good outcomes right now. The LSAT is preventing life. you from going to law school, which is a good which thing. Is what it's yeah. And what it's meant for and what like that, what it should be used for is like prevent, you know, preventing people from getting ripped off. Right. The American bar association doesn't do it anymore. They're supposed to be, holding law schools to higher standards and not letting them be predatory. But they don't do that anymore. They just go ahead and keep accrediting schools that have very bad career outcomes. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> so like right now the LSAT, yeah, is you think it's your enemy, but it's actually your friend because it's protecting you from getting ripped off by whatever law school. But if you improve by 20 points, now all of a sudden the sharks are going to be circling. Yeah. So that would be the worst thing Ben and I could do for you is to improve your score by 20 points, which is a, no easy task. Like 20 points is when people improve by 20 points, I'm like, wow. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. That's great. Awesome. So, and, and she wants 30 points, 30, 34 four, points. Yeah. Well, okay. So let's make some assumptions here that are extraordinarily generous, but to further the this conversation, right? So one, let's assume that the 157 is to go to law school for free. Let's also assume yep. that the 123 is an extraordinary fluke. It's not a, it's, it's a, a little bit of a stretch, but not totally crazy. Well, Maybe clearly not bubbling it like didn't even know that there's no penalty for guessing yeah right? like mm -hmm. didn't didn't bother to bubble in guesses on the uh, on the questions she didn't attempt um that's a, a generous assumption in her favor yes no prior prep raw diagnostic knows nothing about the test whatsoever but a 157 will get her a full ride okay and so let's assume that you know, with a little bit of, of LSAT familiarity, you can bump this up to the high 130s. <sighs> you still have 20 points to go um, to get to that 157. What are you going to do? Well, if you decide to, to invest the time and effort needed, despite all that we're saying, and you decide to go with LSAT Demon, I initially see you doing a lot of drilling, which doesn't mean doing a lot of questions every day. It just means doing one question in drilling. And it's going to start with the easier ones. That's what the demon does. It starts with the easier ones and it increases your difficulty until it figures out that it's at about the right level. For you, it's going to stay low for a while because you're not going to be doing as well or you're going to be taking a really long time. But that's the only way I see you getting your mind wrapped around the test in a solid, reasonable, predictable, straightforward way to get you on a path that will lead to a 20-point increase. Slowly doing one question at a time, really understanding yeah. it, and then going to the next one. I actually think we could get you into the 130s almost immediately. I mean, and, and that would actually be what I would, what I would be looking for, for you. If, if you do decide, I think that failing fast is a really good strategy in a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. Like in business, that's one thing that they teach you in business school is to fail fast. Mm -hmm. So find a minimal viable product. And if people aren't buying it, give up and try something else Yeah. to translate that to the LSAT. I think anonymous needs to either get into the one thirties within a month at the most. At the most, yeah. You you need to get into the 130s immediately or quit. Because like if you can't get into the 130s immediately, then you're just like it, it, here's because think about like what you have to do to get into the 130s. Step 1. <laughs> always bubble in an answer to every question. You don't have to attempt every question. You can't attempt every question. You should not be even thinking about attempting every question. Yeah. But there's no penalty for guessing. You're going to get one out of five guesses right. Currently, you're actually scoring less than one out of five <laughs> on the entire test. So you can improve. Your, you could literally improve your score by just randomly guessing on every question. So 
don't leave questions blank. That's, that's number one. The time to do that is at the five minute warning. When the five minute warning goes off, you bubble in a guess for every remaining question in the section. Your score should immediately improve, yep. at least into the high 120s. And then you only have to get six or seven correct of the <laughs> That's ones. That's what I was going to say yeah. is, so what you need to do is on logical reasoning, you need to get numbers one through five correct. Let's start with that. Those are the easiest ones. You need to get numbers one through five correct and randomly guess on the rest of the section. In reading comp, you need to read one passage and answer the questions correctly for that one passage. And do one game. <laughs> and for games, you need to do one game. You need to do probably the first game. That's probably the easiest one. You need to do that one game. You need to spend the entire 35 minutes on that one game and you need to get it right. Yep. You just need to answer those questions correctly because they have given you all the information to solve them perfectly. You just have to figure it out and you have to sit there. You have to be patient. You have to read it carefully and you have to figure it out and you have to answer those questions correctly. And we can help you with all that stuff. I mean, in the demon, there's video explanations, there's written explanations, there's an ask button. There's all cause a whole team of people who can help you. But at this very basic level, you're not understanding anything yeah. at all. And we have to get you on at least on board with the idea that you can understand mm -hmm. the easiest parts of this test. If you understand the bare minimum, easiest yeah. parts of the test, you should immediately be scoring in the 130s. Well, it's crazy because if you, if you randomly guess, if you do one game, one reading comp passage, and you get the first six to seven questions right in logical reasoning, which is the okay. same for all three sections, right? Sure. So six or seven points per section. Yep. Plus the guesses. Plus the guesses. You should be between 138 and 142. Yeah, that, that's so right. <laughs> that right. is not so, much work. That is minimal. Yeah, and this advice actually does have you know implications. Like all the people out there who are in the 130s right now need to be listening to this because you should probably be in the low 140s almost immediately. If you're understanding anything at all, you should be in the 140s. Mm -hmm. So I said anonymous needs to get into the 130s, but yeah, I mean, now that I think about it, you need to be in the 140s within a month because all that requires is any shred of understanding. Mm -hmm. Really? Like I, that's, uh, that's a tough pill. I'm sure for a lot of people to swallow, but if you're in the one twenties or the one thirties, you're understanding almost nothing. And we got to get you to understand you have to start understanding something. I mean, that's our whole philosophy mm -hmm. is that, you know, you're ultimately this test does make sense. Uh, people who read carefully can figure out the answers to these questions and especially on the easiest stuff. So to get to 140, you need to only be understanding, you know, the easiest reading comp passage, the easiest game, the easiest LR questions. Don't bite off more than you could chew. <laughs> Just simply get the first six or seven questions in each section and then guess on everything else. Yeah. That should give you plenty of time. That should be ample time for anybody to get the first game, first passage, first five or six, seven LR questions in the section. And that's already 140. Yeah. So that would be the, you know, that'd be a 17 point improvement for anonymous. 
what's the next step? Let's say she gets there in a month. She's at 140. Now, what do you say? <laughs> Keep going with the drilling and then occasionally, you know, a time section. Yeah. And I mean, I would, I would say good job. Congratulations. That's great. You're starting to understand some of the tests now. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, to get from 140 to 150, you probably have to double that. Right. Like I, and, and that's not, this is real talk for people who are currently scoring 141 or 142. Mm-hmm. It's like, you need to get into the one fifties like right now. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you've got like a month. I, I would be, I would only really try for like a month. Yeah to get into the one fifties from the one forties, because all you have to do to get into the one fifties, I can see Ben doing some math, Mm -hmm. but to get to the one fifties, I think all you need is like, let's get questions one through 12 on each section. Yeah. You know, you need, you need the first 12 LR questions. You need two reading comp passages and two games. So roughly half of each section that's exactly actually right. understand it. Is, am I right? Yeah. So if you get if you get two games, two passages, um, about 14, 15 questions in LR, and then you guess on the rest, you're going to be scoring between one fifty, one fifty three. So that's that's a little more than half. The you know fifteen LR questions, little more than half, mm-hmm. plus the guesses because yeah. you're still well, getting 14. one out of five 14, of those I was guesses. Fourteen LR, but yeah, fourteen. Mm-hmm. Okay, fourteen. Yeah. All right. So anyway, you know half little more than half maybe on the lr it's still the easiest questions yeah uh, you know on the first 14 on lr there's like maybe one hard one mm-hmm. those are the easiest questions they're only going to get harder and they're going to get dramatically harder after that <laughs> those the last half of the section is like five times as hard as the first half of the section so they're they're going to get dramatically harder as you get deeper into the section you need to you need to get the easy ones right. So if you're in the 140s and you've been stuck there for a while, I, I really would. I, I would, I mean, I don't want to crush your dreams. I'm just telling you, if you're going to go to law school for free, if you're going to not get ripped off, you probably need more like a 160 or 165 even. Mm-hmm. And to get there, you're going to, you're going to have to start understanding this test. Like you, it, it makes sense. I promise it makes sense. And and our job is to help you see how it makes sense. So I'm not saying you have to do this alone, but I am saying that like, if you can't get into the one fifties from the one forties in like a month, well then I don't, I, you're, you're really just, you're, you're not understanding anything you're like just not get it you're not getting it i'm sorry mm-hmm. you're not getting it yeah so i i want i want you to get it and that's what that's what we do i mean and you know and by the way this shouldn't be that discouraging for people who start in the 140s because we have multiple teachers on the lsat demon staff who started in the 140s and eventually made it into the 170s yeah a starting score in the 140s is totally fine. I do think, though, that you need to get into the 150s within like a month, roughly like a month of diligent study. Because with the proper strategy of just make sure you get the ones at the beginning of each section right, two games, two passages, half of the questions on LR, 
gas on all the remaining stuff, which is the hardest stuff on the test anyway. And you should start seeing practice scores in the one fifties and that, and like, if you can't do that in a month, then you're either not focusing on actually understanding this stuff or you're encountering some barriers, which are going to be extremely difficult to overcome. Yeah. Cool. I think it's a good rule of thumb. Try to make that progress. Yeah. That quick. Like, uh, <laughs> like you need to get into the one, you basically need to crack 140 within a month. And then you need to crack 150 within another month. Or two. That might be a little harder, but yeah. Depending on how, how low you started. Yeah. But like the, if we are talking about like a pure raw diagnostic of 123, I do think like you got to get to 140 within, you know, a month, maybe six weeks. Like if you can't get to 140 in a, in a month or six weeks, you're just, you're just simply not understanding anything. Yeah. And, and to get from 140 to 150, yeah, a month, six weeks, uh, like 140 is the barest understanding. And we got to go from the barest of understanding to halfway understanding, you know, understanding half of the test, yeah. figuring out half of the test. Yeah. Like, and I, yeah, I think like in a month or two, we should be getting to that point. At that point, I would fully believe in you. You know, at that point, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, great. Ball is rolling. Let's keep making progress. Let's make it to 155. Let's make it to 160. Let's make it to 165 and not pay for law school. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So this next email is from David. Uh, he's uh, on the LSAT Demon team. He writes, Hey, Ben, I know you love using fitness as an analogy, so I wanted to share. I recently started a new running plan that is almost entirely based on staying in certain heart rate zones. I was incredibly frustrated by the easy pace runs because it was so much slower than what I was used to. During these runs, my early, pa my early pace was way too fast and my heart rate would spike early. I could never bring it back down to a manage manageable level for the rest of the run. I decided to ease into the first half mile. I thought that maybe if I started out even slower, I could make up speed on the back end of the run. Immediately, my run times improved. By monitoring my heart rate, I figured out that it took my body about half a mile for it to truly warm up. After that, I could greatly improve my speed for the rest of the run, but kept keep my heart rate in its aerobic threshold. Within a few weeks, I was knocking minutes off my aerobic mile times. I couldn't help but remember my LSAT studies and how analogous this experience was. In the beginning, I was rushing like crazy to finish sections. I didn't have a true understanding of what I needed to do, and it showed in my accuracy. By slowing down during the stimulus, uh, the passage, I confidently entered into questions with bold predictions. This allowed me to finish more questions in less time with greater accuracy. Slow is smooth, and smooth is fast. I've always loved the fitness health book recommendations you've discussed. Are you reading anything particular now? Um, no. <laughs> what was I going to say? Oh, you know, it's interesting. So I haven't gone to a baseball game in forever, but I went to the Giants-Nats game uh, two nights ago. I think it was three nights, maybe three nights ago. Anyways, 
uh, you know, baseball is kind of a slower sport. But one thing. Ugh, it's the slowest of sports. It's the only sport that I really ever watch. But God, is it slow. It's slow. Uh, so boring. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, right. they are, you know, when they hit, they, the, the, you know, the second baseman or whatever picks up the ball and they just have to get it to first. But one thing I noticed every time is right before they threw it to the first baseman or third or whatever, whenever they're trying to make an out, they def- it was like this moment of pause, right? They're definitely like lining up. They're like looking and then they're throwing. It's like they, they got the ball and I kind of expected it to be like this smooth motion where you pick it up and then you turn and throw it. But no, almost every time it was like they picked it up and then they pivoted and then it's like they're looking at the first baseman and then they throw it. Because it's like if you nail that, the batter's out. There's no way that that runner is going to get to first before the ball does, yeah. right? But they needed that pause to make it like a solid out versus like, oh shit, now it's like a little bit off of the first baseman, they're losing control of it, and now the runner's going to second and all that shit. I knew a golf teacher once who said that he could predict whether somebody was going to hit a good shot or a bad shot by just watching them approach the ball. Mm. Like one thing that a lot of players do, and I, I try to do this is I, I like stand behind the ball mm. and visualize the shot. Okay. You know, take a breath mm-hmm. from that vantage shot. Point in my mind well yeah because you got to see what the you know like see what the you're trying to make the ball do right Mm -hmm. this visualization of it and um it's not about practice swings every bad golfer takes so many practice swings it's not about practice swings it's about like it's about a knowing what you're trying to achieve and it's much more at least for me anyway about like picturing it but anyway this teacher was like yeah no i mean i i can predict whether you're going to hit a good one or a bad one I don't have to see you swing. I, I, I can just watch you get up to the ball Yep. and then have some certainty about what, whether it's going to be a good one or a bad one, just by what your like approach looks like, hmm. which has always kind of stuck with me. And it, it, I, I think we're talking about kind of the same thing, you know, yeah. like this, having an idea in mind, what you're trying to execute and what David's doing here is like, Hey, this is a, this is an aerobic exercise. This is like an intense experience for my cardiovascular system. Mm -hmm. And I need to keep my heart within this aerobic zone. And he's got this plan now and he's executing it and it's working out. Yeah. And I really like what he said about, you know, it, it, it sounds like wishful thinking. It sounds like magic. Yeah. But by slowing down during the passage, he made better predictions. Then here's the results. More questions in less time with greater accuracy. You know, it's so weird, actually. I just had a realization. So... I was thinking about this as you were talking and when I go to the gym, I do three hard sets. So I'm doing um, four to six reps of a heavy weight three times because whatever I'm doing right now, it's like if you can do heavier weight, that's going to lead to more progress. So, um, but what I realized 
was that when I initially started, I was doing the same weight three times. But then I found that I could actually go up weight if I started lower. So, I, so for example, instead of doing 80, 80, 80, I would do 75, and then I could get to 80, and then I could hit 85, whereas if I had done 80, 80, then doing, no, it was like I was struggling on that second set more yeah. than if I had done 70, which makes sense. I'm doing a little less weight, but it's like well. the gains are more than I would have expected. It's like if I start... 10 pounds lower than I'm going to end up 10 pounds higher than where I had started. I have two things to say about that. Look at David's run times. Yeah. He he's giving his aerobic system, his cardiovascular system time to properly warm up. And then he's able to go much faster once he does that. Mm -hmm. Similar to what's happening with you with the weights. Yeah. The LSAT is actually designed in that way. Mm Mm-hmm goes back to what we were talking about with anonymous. You really have to make sure you master the first game. The first reading comp passage. Yeah. Questions one through six in the LR. Those are the easy ones. You have to do them properly. Eventually when you do, then the next one's probably going to be harder. Yeah but you'll be able to do it with no problem if you were able to do the previous one, you know, with this slow is smooth, smooth is fast idea. Or, or I have always said, slow down to speed up. Yeah. You know, that's like, that's the ultimate irony is that when we try to go slower, then the test opens up to us. Like the test makes more sense. It's much more manageable if we approach it with the right, the right mindset. I mean, it happens to me in class all the time. I'm teaching a class. I look at the clock. Oh shit. We got to get out of here. I start rushing through the setup on a game or I misread something in a logical reasoning passage. And next thing you know, it ends up taking me twice as long because I made some silly casual mistake. And the times when I try to slow down, the times when I try to slow down, that's when I actually end up finishing class early Yeah, because it all comes together and it all makes sense. And I don't make these stupid mistakes. And then I just kind of effortlessly breeze through. Yeah. Like the more you worry about speed and try to go fast, the bigger problems you're going to have with speed. Yep. The more you ignore the clock and try to go slow and just try to focus on accuracy, the more it's going to make sense to you. And, you know, it's a circle back to anonymous. We need the test to start making sense to you. So you've got to, you got to do what David's doing with managing his heart rate on these runs of careful, calm, accurate. And then the test will start to open up to you and you'll, you'll, you could eventually end up going, you know, farther than you ever had thought possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe anonymous makes a 40 point improvement and ends up in the 160s and a full ride to law school. That would be unprecedented. That would be the biggest improvement we've ever seen. But if it's possible, it's only going to come from actually understanding the content of the test. Yeah. And so we got to start with like, you know, baby steps. That that's the one that's one mistake that every student at every level tends to make, right? They like think about their target score. Like the worst thing that anonymous could ever do is start going, "Okay, well, I have to get 18 per section right." Yeah. 
then you're going too fast. Because right now you're getting three per section right. And so you need to go to six per section first. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. Uh, if you have questions or you just want to be LSAT famous, email us at helpatthinkinglsat.com and we will try to answer your question on the show. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email that team at help at lsatdemon.com. They are super friendly. That was episode 304 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Howdy, y'all. I'm Alex, the producer of the new LSAT Demon Daily. You can now find it anywhere you listen to your podcast. Keep listening for a preview of the Demon Daily. Hey there, Nathan here. Uh, one of the reasons why we founded LSAT Demon Daily is because we wanted to be able to bring you topical news stuff uh, on a bit of a shorter production cycle. I got two emails just yesterday. I wanted to get this out as soon as I possibly could. Um, I'll just read them to you. It says, hey, y'all, this might not be a question you guys can answer, but I've received no guidance from LSAC after multiple emails and calls today, so I thought I would check and see if you guys have any insight to offer. I took my LSAT two weeks ago, Saturday, June 12th, and thought it was 100% normal from an administration standpoint. I had minor technical issues in the beginning because ProctorU couldn't get control of my mouse, but after restarting my browser and chatting with a technician for a few minutes, the problem was resolved, and I went on to take all three sections without any issues. No Proctor interruptions or anything. It was totally silent in the room, and I'm positive my eyes were glued to either the screen or my scratch paper the entire time. I wasn't wearing a watch. I drank water out of a clear plastic 20-ounce bottle, and my phone wasn't even in the room. I followed all the proctor's instructions, tore up my scratch paper at the end, etc., etc. I know the rules. Now, two weeks later, I get an email that my test is under review due to an incident that was recorded during the administration, in quotes, and that I can expect an update by July 9th. Seriously? What the fuck? Do you guys have any idea what type of problem would warrant a review two weeks after sitting for the test? And considering I can't think of anything out of the ordinary that occurred during my test whatsoever, I'm trying to tell myself I got a 180 and they're reviewing it because I have a 158 on record from last summer. Ha ha. Okay, so there's one email from a, you know, very discouraged, scared, worried student. And here's another one with the exact same issue. Um, hi, current, uh, big fan of the podcast and lover of your books, currently losing my mind. <clears throat> and while I know this may not be something you are totally familiar with, I figured I'd give it a shot. This morning, I received an email from LSAC saying that they were placing my score and account on hold for review of an incident that occurred during my flex administration. The email provided no further information and I have received no other correspondence I checked my LSAC portal to see if it could provide any clarity, and there was no indication of a hold being placed on my account at all. I called LSAC and was connected with a woman who saw on her end that there was a hold, but that for her too, there was no reason cited. I asked if this was common, to which she replied that this was the first time she had ever seen one, no reason given, and two, no indication of a hold on my actual portal. 
I'm going crazy over here, as I had until this point considered myself lucky. I did not have a single interruption from my proctor and thought I had checked all the necessary procedural boxes for the test. Room was quiet, scratch paper ripped, and I literally checked with my proctor three times before logging off to make sure I was good to go. I know there's nothing you can do about this, but I was just wondering whether you'd ever seed, seen or heard anything like it. Yep, got one other email saying the exact same thing. Um, okay, so here's the deal. All I know is that this has happened to more than one person. If I got two emails about it uh, on Friday, uh, this happened, by the way, on a Friday, you know, conveniently right before LSAC is like leaving for the weekend. Um, this happened to two of our listeners means it probably happened to 20 of our listeners. Um, my, my guess is that this is nothing you did wrong, nothing you can do about it. And so it's probably nothing that you should even worry about. But of course, the way LSAC has communicated it, I mean, just terribly, right? All you get is an email saying there's an incident, you know, like, I don't, I'm sorry uh, that they do this. I wish they would just not send you emergency emails that are probably going to amount to nothing at all. If they were going to send you emergency emails that are probably going to amount to nothing at all, I wish they would give you more explanation. I also just really don't understand why at least one of you says that you're going to have an update by July 9th, which then is past the deadline to register for the July LSAT or for the August LSAT, which they they sent an update just the other day that they were super proud that they were going to have the June scores out in time for people to decide whether they want to register for the August test. And so now apparently something went wrong. My guess is a glitch on Proctor U's end. Who knows? Um, we don't know. They could have lost your score. There could have just been a glitch in Proctor U's system and they flagged it for some reason. And now your whole thing has to be reviewed. Best you can do is complain. My guess is they'll probably give you a free retake. Uh, it's a bummer, but there's nothing you can do about it. Obviously, we will provide more information as it comes in, but you're not the only one. It's probably nothing. You can't do anything to control it. So you should probably just uh, relax and... Um, wait for further news. I'm sorry this happened to you. If you have uh, similar news and you would like to uh, get it uh, on the show, please email daily at lsatdemon.com. We'd love to hear news and updates, and we will uh, get it back out to the audience just as soon as we possibly can. Thanks for listening. Okay.